Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, Texas, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike 136. We're in the second half hour, the one o'clock hour here on KSL News Radio. It, it feels it feels gross to me to immediately. Uh, turn my attention to Washington, D.C., when quite literally it has not even been 24 hours since uh, a mass shooting unfolded in a grocery store in Boulder, Colorado, when 10 people, 10 innocent people lost their lives, including uh, an officer of the law, a police officer, uh, and father of seven. Father of seven. In fact, there was a a little story I saw last night talking about uh, two of that officer, that fallen officer's uh, children. One of them came into some sort of medical distress. Uh, another child, uh, another one of the officer's uh, children, Officer Tally is his name, had undergone some CPR training and was able to put uh, their first aid knowledge to work uh, saving the life of the other child. That was just a few weeks ago. There was a big to-do uh, in commemoration and honor of that uh, young child's fast thinking and uh, life-saving efforts. And, uh, man, it was just a, a few weeks later uh, that both those children, plus their five siblings and their mother and the whole rest of the family and community that loved and embraced their officer father, uh, they lost that man. He lost his life. What I said feels gross is after an event like that, so quickly uh, turning our attention to Washington, D.C., where the gun control debate uh, rages on. And I don't think the sun had even set yesterday before uh, lawmakers really on both sides of this issue uh, were uh, positioning themselves for the, the next fight. Well, uh, today, it was uh, from, I believe, Joint Base Andrews just before departing for uh, Ohio that President Biden took to the microphone and for the first time since the uh, events unfolded in Boulder yesterday uh, spoke on the matter. Uh, he, of course, expressed his condolences for uh, the family members in the community uh, and also talked about uh, what he would like to see in terms of uh, a change in the law. He talked about uh, two things, really, uh, laws that he would like to see uh, 
drafted in the form of legislation and passed, and then also uh, legislation which has already uh, passed the House. Uh, He'd like to see that before the Senate. Those two pieces of legislation have to do with uh, background checks. And uh, on the other side, the proposed legislation uh, is what uh, he has called, quote, the assault weapons ban. In addition to that, a ban on high-capacity magazines. That uh, definitionally is different depending on where you go, but for the most part, uh, in places like uh, California and New York, high capacity is anything 10 plus. And uh, uh, so that's that's what he's calling for. Now, how could how could that work? What is now let's just hypothetically walk through uh, the scenarios in which first that background check legislation of uh, what was it a week and a half ago or so when it passed the house how does that legislation pass the senate and two how do the proposed bills by the president uh, the, the the banning of certain firearms as well as uh, certain magazines how would that make its way uh, from an idea in his head to uh, a piece of paper on his desk both of those ideas would have to overcome the filibuster, the Senate filibuster. Now, how could how could that happen? Well, uh, first off, it would require uh, buy-in from at least 10 Republicans. All Democrats would need to be on board with any of this legislation, the background check bills of a few weeks ago, plus the uh, proposed legislation banning certain firearms and magazines proposed just today at Joint Base Andrews by President Biden. You'd need all 50 Democrats to be on board, plus at least uh, 10 Republicans. There's no chance of that. There's really no chance of even getting all 50 Democrats on board. We have heard from uh, Joe Manchin, who has indicated uh, an unwillingness to, uh, to, to move so drastically in this direction in regulating firearms such as this. And then you are uh, almost certainly not going to find uh, Republicans in the Senate who would be supportive of this legislation. And so that's one path. The second way to overcome the filibuster would be to altogether change the rules, do away with the filibuster. Now, there are those uh, who very loudly believe uh, that, that that's the future, that the filibuster is, uh, first off, uh, not found in the Constitution. It wasn't a construct of our founding fathers, but rather the development uh, uh, of recent modern interpretation of Senate rules. And so we're not betraying the Constitution. We're not betraying history. And yet there are those who still uh, feel very strongly that the filibuster is a, a valuable element to the way business is done in the United States Senate. Democrats and Republicans. That same Joe Manchin has expressed a hesitancy to uh, overturn the filibuster rule. Uh, In addition to, uh, again, Democrat Senator Joe Manchin, there is uh, Democrat Senator Kristen Sinema, uh, who has been uh, vocally opposed to the filibuster. And so, where does that leave us? If everyone holds their ground, we are left at an impasse. And this legislation won't go forward. And so, what does that mean? Now, notice you and I have not really 
uh, engaged in a debate over the merits of any of these things. I, I think you uh, you could pretty safely predict where I stand uh, on both packages of legislation here, the background checks as well as the proposed bans from the president. But that's beside the point at the moment. When we're talking about process and procedure and the filibuster and overcoming such uh, and cloture and supermajority and all that, that's th- th- this is a, a policy and a process discussion. What is the likelihood? And as you find out by looking at who stands where, who has said what, uh, you come pretty quickly to realize that uh, that change is not coming on this front. And so what do you do if you are honest and sincere and truly want to somehow uh, impact crimes committed uh, with firearms in this nation? It's time to start looking at criminal activity. It's time to start looking at the laws that we currently have on the books and using them to the advantage of uh, those who fall victim to gun violence. There is not a pathway to change the laws in Congress right now. It's just not there. There will not be a ban on certain weapons. So how do you approach this? You look at the laws that we have currently and you enforce them. You look at all of the all of the processes, all the statutes uh, and all the tools that are available statutorily right now and uh, you ratchet up their enforcement. Maybe that requires uh, added resources. I, I, I bet you you'd find uh, plenty of appetite for that. You'd find buy-in from folks on all sides uh, on that front to pour in added resources. Because as you break down the pathways, uh, you, you find that uh, the filibuster likely isn't going anywhere, and you're likely not going to find uh, sufficient support to overcome such a filibuster. This topic is going to come up often. While Democrats control the White House, the Senate, and the House of Representatives, the filibuster is going to be an ever-present topic of conversation. And the temptation will always be there uh, for Democrats to overturn it. But remember, if they do that, then it is uh, a tool available to uh, Republicans as well in the future when they and if they uh, overtake the Senate majority. It feels gross moving to Washington politics as a topic of conversation so soon after such a tragedy unfolds uh, as we witnessed yesterday in Colorado. But someone has to have that conversation. Someone has to look at what needs to be done and how to do it. Those are all very difficult decisions, difficult investigations, difficult debates, and ultimately difficult actions. But important. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.